Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. Last week, we spoke a little bit in reference to calling, and that was really what I tried to focus on. And, and I shared with you a story about my family, and one time when we went to the zoo, that's the only story I've got in my ammunition and my arsenal, so you don't get that story tonight. Just go back and listen to it on the webpage. But what was important about all of that was that you're called. We are all called. Sometimes I think some Christians feel like a second-rate citizen, if you will, a second-rate Christian because they, they don't understand that there's a call on their life, that God reached out to them, offered salvation, and then a gift set that goes along with that salvation experience. And I gave you a Greek word, that word was klesis, and that's what we talked about last week. This week we're gonna shift gears and I'm gonna try to tie the bridge together about why that's important that you know what your calling is and why you walk in that calling. But before we jump into the word, I wanna go to the Lord in prayer really quick. Father in heaven, I thank you for the opportunity again tonight to share the word with your people, Father. It's truly a privilege and an honor. And I ask that tonight, that every heart receives, that everybody here receives something from you, gets a blessing from you, that their life is transformed and changed, and that we leave this place tonight different than we were when we came in, looking a little more like you, walking in a little more certainty and surety of who we are, so that we can go make a difference in a lost and hurting world around us. And Father, I ask these things in the precious name of Jesus, amen. Okay, in your notes, the very first part of the scripture we're gonna jump into is Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. We've got three blocks of scripture to address this evening. So I'm gonna read this with you. I'm gonna give you a few things to, to underline. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service. Underline all of that, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Underline body of Christ built up. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, underline become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, then we will no longer be infants, underline no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, underline truth in love, we will grow, underline that to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ, and from him the whole body, underline whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows, underline grow right there, and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Underline that, that last bit, as each part does its work. The first thing we're going to talk about, number one, is the five-fold ministry. There's some folks that probably don't know what that is. We can't just assume and so we're going to talk about that, and we just covered it, but I put it out here in Ephesians 4.11 in the Amplified, and it says, and his gifts were varied. He himself, talking about Jesus, appointed and gave men to us, some to be apostles, that's one, those are special messengers, some prophets, inspired preachers and expounders, you could say a mouthpiece of God, if you will, some evangelists, preachers of the gospel or traveling missionaries, some pastors, shepherds of his flock, and teachers. So that's the five-fold ministry, those gift sets mentioned right there. Letter A, they are here to be God's spiritual fitness trainers. Can we shift to the first point, guys? 
Letter A, spiritual fitness trainers. There we go. We see right there that it says that they're here for one reason in verse 12, and that's to equip God's people. Well, that word equip is another one of those Greek words, and I'm gonna give it to you. I love the Greek. Remember, the New Testament's Greek, Old Testament's Hebrew, and there's several words in the Greek and Ephesians that are only used one time in the entire New Testament. And when I see those words, I like to hone in on them and see what God's trying to say through those words. And that word, I gave it to you in your, in your notes, it is the word katartismos. And the definition of it is a bringing to a condition of fitness or perfecting. So it says the fivefold ministry is here to bring God's body into a place of fitness. It says perfecting, and that doesn't mean without any flaws. Sometimes when we read that word perfect, that's where our mind goes. But what it's saying is, is that it's here to make sure that all the parts get into the right place, their perfect spot. And that's what that word of perfecting means, okay? So what we see through this is that God is all about spiritual fitness. He wants to build the body. God's a spiritual bodybuilder, if you will, and he's given us trainers to help us get there. So if you ingest the proper diet that they put out there and you walk in what they say to do in that spiritual training, the body grows stronger. It gets body built, if you will, and that's important because we're called to go and depopulate hell and expand the boundaries of heaven. And that only happens as we grow and get healthy. Our very next point is it takes two. It takes two. So the, the fivefold ministry does their part, but then we have to do ours. We have to do ours. If you want to enjoy the benefits of a training program, you have to participate in the program. I'm going to share about my wife. I love my wife. I told you all last week she's been with me a long time by the grace of God. Last week, her and my daughter dove into a physical fitness program and it came with an eating program you do and all these things you got to eat and then they it's got this dvd i believe the name of the dvd is 21 torturous days to a better body or something like that i but they go in every morning they put that dvd in the dvd player and they hit play on the remote but if they choose to just go and sit down on the couch and watch the dvd it won't do any good They've got to participate with the program and follow it. And so my wife last week did the program. I'm so proud of her. This has been hard. And at the end of the week, something unique came up. She kind of came to me and she said, you know, I don't think it's doing anything. And she was a little disappointed because she's put a lot of hard work into it. Well, then shift gears into this week and my daughter pulls me aside. Today's Wednesday. My daughter pulls me aside yesterday and says, dad, let me tell you something about mom. This week, she's gone to the intermediate level of exercises. There's like three levels in here, three ways to do it. So last week, she had to do the beginning level, and here it is just a few days later. She didn't think anything was happening, but this week, my daughter was like, oh, something big is happening. You've stepped up to the intermediate level. It's the same thing in the kingdom. We have to participate in the program that he's put in place if we're gonna grow. Now, I've put a few points down here. These are going to seem obvious. Track with me. These are opportunities that are out there that the fivefold ministry has put together to help build you up spiritually, which means the body grows. Number one, Sunday and Wednesday services. You guys get that because you're here. 
And we're glad you're here, but this needs to be a regular occurrence. You gotta be here on Sundays, you gotta be here on Wednesdays, you gotta hear what's being put out there by the voice of God through his people to help you grow. Number two is our growth track. I've talked about this a lot. Pastor David has worked very hard to put together an effective growth track that will literally do just that, help you grow. You go to it, it's four Sundays, and in three of those Sundays, you learn all about how God wired you, the gifts that he put in you, and then you're given the opportunity to figure out where you fit into this thing we call the corporate body of Christ. You can go to our website to find out more about that. If you haven't been through it, you want to. Trust me, it's good stuff. Number three is life groups. Our life group semesters just ended last week. That's another opportunity for you to go and be sharpened and for you to grow. These are opportunities the fivefold ministries put together for you, for us, for the body. And then life enrichment classes. As soon as summer's over, we're gonna dive back into our life enrichment classes on Wednesday nights. If not, go talk to Pastor David, it's not my fault, I didn't get the memo, I apologize. And then number five, other opportunities. So we have women's events, women's luncheons, women's Bible studies. We have the same thing for the men. You can find out about all of this on the webpage. They're in your bulletins. We make announcements about it. Those are opportunities to participate in a growth plan. Let me say something else about that that's not in your notes, and that is this. If you only come on Sundays and Wednesdays, that's, that's not enough to grow you. Okay, look, I'm smiling, I love you. You gotta have a spiritual growth plan in place. What if a bodybuilder only ate twice a week? Could he do what he does? Could you function in your capacity in the natural world if you only ate twice a week? My wife and my daughter have been eating this crazy diet program that goes with that, and they're, they're burning so many calories they have to put enough fuel in it to make it run so that they can develop and grow, so put a growth plan in place. You know, podcasts, books, there are so many things available to help you grow. If you've never done anything, I'll give you a little secret, I share this with the men, I like to call it first in 10. If you haven't done anything for a growth plan, take and do the first in 10. That means take the first 10 minutes of every morning and give those 10 minutes to the Lord. Open your Bible, read a proverb, read something, pray, ask him to give you some wisdom and enlightenment on it, and then just spend some time worshiping him. Do that for 10 minutes, call me in two weeks and tell me if something hasn't changed in your life. I promise you, it will. We're gonna shift gears now. We're gonna go to to the next chunk of scriptures. And it talks about works of service. It says that the people are trained up to do works of service. Other translations say the work of the ministry. I'm gonna hit you with another word. There's a, there, it's called diakonia, diakonia. That's a Greek word, and that is the definition of the word. Service and ministry, same word. It has the exact same meaning. We're gonna get into what's powerful about that in just a second. So ministry equals serving, and serving equals work. Matthew 9, 37, Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few, so pray to the Lord of the harvest for more workers. Look, if you wanna harvest souls, you gotta do the work of the ministry. We've got places for you to fill in so that you can participate actively in the harvesting of souls, and I'm telling you, there's no greater reward 
last Wednesday because people served on this campus, in the sound booth, in the children's ministry, media department, kitchen, everywhere that they served, four people gave their lives to the Lord in here. Four people were delivered from hell because people served and ministered. That's what it's all about. Jesus is our model in this. That's our next point. Jesus, our model. Remember, we're trying to be more Christ-like. That means our eyes are focused on him, and we're trying to shape our lives to be more like Jesus. And in Matthew 20, 28, it says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. The reason I put that scripture in there is because those two usages of the word serve are that word diakonia, ministry. They're synonymous. You can interchange them with each other. Jesus didn't come to be ministered to, he came to minister, and that happens through service. Next point is my act of service is ministry. My act of service is ministry. You see, every time you serve, the stage gets set so that somebody can come to know our Savior, so that a marriage can be healed and restored, so that a wayward teen can come home. And when you plug in, that's credited to your account in heaven. That's a big deal. But you've got to walk in your role, and when you do, that's what you get to experience and partake in. It's a great thing. My act of ministry builds the body. Ephesians 4.12 tells us that we equip the people for the works of service. Why? So that the body of Christ may be built up. So my act of ministry builds God's body. Our next point, I didn't give you any blanks on it, is this is it's God's plan and God's plan is good. God's plan is good. Jeremiah 29, 11 is on our wall out there in the gathering place and it says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good and not for disaster. That it is to give you a future and a hope. The way this body works, that's God's plan. 1 Corinthians 12, he put the pieces where he saw fit. He brought us together to work in our role. It's his plan and it's a good plan and when you participate in it, look what it says in Jeremiah 29, 11. It's for your future and your hope. I'm gonna give you a Pastor Ken moment. Think on this. The solution to your situation may be woven into your service. I'm gonna say that again and then I'm gonna elaborate on that. The solution to your situation may be woven into your service. You see, we we read in the word and it says, there's a principle that's all through the word and it's sowing and reaping. The Bible says that seed time and harvest will never ever fail. That means when you sow, then you can expect to reap. You can expect something coming on the backside of it. So what does this mean? Maybe you're called to be over in in the children's ministry taking care of three-year-olds and teaching them about Christ And maybe you received a pink slip at work and in two weeks you don't have a job and you're over there loving on little Johnny in the children's ministry wing and when little Johnny's dad walks in to get his son or his daughter and they say, man, daddy, he prayed for me. I had a headache and it's gone. And look, they taught me that Jesus loves the whole world so much that he died for him. And little Johnny's dad goes, Man, that is awesome. Thank you so much for loving on my kid. And through the course of conversation, it comes out that he's a CEO of a big company and it just so happens that he has a position available that you can fill. That's how God works. 
When you get on board with his plan, he makes provision. It's just what he does. That's what I meant by that, think on this. Number two, I'm gonna smile real big when I say this. Maturity is a kingdom expectation. Ephesians 4, 13 through 16, there's a typo in your notes. It should be end in 16. It says, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. Then it goes on in verse 16 to say that when everybody does their part, we grow. In, that, in those few verses, there are five references to growing up to being in the maturity process, to not staying a babe in the Lord. You see, when we get born again, then we are, we're a babe in Christ, and that's a fantastic thing. It's a beautiful thing. We're all in the process somewhere, no matter how long you've been serving the Lord. But let me put it back over in the natural. If you have kids, think back to the day when they were this big. Babies are very unique creatures. They eat, they sleep, and then they do this other thing that you have to clean up. That's what babies do. They require a lot of attention, but in that, you get to love them, they get to love you. But at that stage in life, they're consumers. That's what they do. They consume resources. And that's okay, that's what they're supposed to do. But then as they begin to grow, as they begin to mature, then they move from being, a, if you've done your job, they go from being a consumer to being now somebody that adds to the program and grows it. And that's the amazing thing, and that's the maturation process that we are on. Now what we see in that is that Christ is our growth benchmark. In verse 13 it says, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Christ is our growth benchmark. That tells us right there that the process doesn't stop until we become fully mature to the same measure as Christ. Guess when that happens? It happens when you meet him face to face on the other side of eternity. That means this is a process that stays in place for our entire walk as a Christian. We never arrive until we arrive, if that makes sense. Our next point, spiritual adults speak the truth in love. Verse 15 says, speak the truth in love. Now look, some of this has to do with what we call accountability. You gotta have folks in your life that will help you grow, that'll speak the truth to you, and then you need to have people in your life that you love them so much, you'll tell them the truth. Go back to the same thing as your kids. There are truths that you have to tell your kids sometimes. They don't want to hear it. It's not pleasant. Man, I remember hearing them when I was growing up. It was uncomfortable. I didn't like it. But because my parents loved me, they had to tell me for my own good. We need those people in our lives. But you have to speak it in love. Speaking in love comes from a place of concern for the other's well-being. That's the important part. So look, if you feel like you're supposed to 
speak something to somebody in truth, but you can't do it in love. Maybe they've rattled your cage. They've done something that's not quite right, but you can't do it in love. Hold on to it and don't deliver it yet. Just hold on to it. Okay. It's got to be in love because it's not about you. It's about helping them attain everything God has for them. 1 Corinthians 13.5 says, Love does not honor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. You know, the other thing that I had to say about that is this. If you feel like you need to speak the truth to someone because it's going to make your life better, well, then I might just suggest that that's manipulation. And we don't want to be guilty of that. It's always got to be for their benefit. And spiritual adults receive the truth in love. Man, if you know somebody loves you, you, come on. Receive what they have to say in love. All right? When they come and talk to you, even if they come to you and maybe they're a bit critical and it's not right, you can be a spiritual adult and you can receive what they have to say in love. If there's no truth in it, don't worry about it. Spit it out. Don't dwell on it. Let it go. But if there's some truth in it, then, man, you can put that at into work in your life, and God will bless you for it. All right, now we're going to jump into the next block of Scripture, and this is, this is all about some practical Christian principles for living, practical things that we can do in our lives now that we're Christians, okay? Remember, I'm going to give you a little backstory here. The group of folks that Paul is talking to is a group of Christians that is roughly five years old. He spent two and a half, three years in Ephesus. Uh, You can read about it in Acts 19. It's a really cool account. And so this is a group of folks that were Gentiles. Remember, he was given a special message for the Gentiles. And so that's who he's talking to, this group of people. They're five years old. They're new creations in Christ. And he's trying to help them get a little further down the road. So in Ephesians 4, 17 through 24, it says, with the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. I'm going to paraphrase some of this. It says their minds are dark. They're not close to the life of God. Their hearts are hard. They have no sense of shame. They only live for lustful pleasure, practicing every kind of impurity. And then in, in 20, he picks it up and says, but that isn't what you learned about Christ Since you've heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes and put on your new nature created to be like God. Number three, new person equals a new way of life. Look at what he says right there in verse 17. He says, look, I live no no longer as the Gentiles do. Well, if you go back to Ephesians 2.11, he says, you were born a Gentile. He's saying, but that's not who you are now. You're new, and a new person has a new way of life. And our next point is that, that you're new, not merely improved. Whenever I see a commercial for something that says new and improved, it drives me crazy. If it's brand new and it's never been, how can it be improved? It's not possible. If it's an old thing, then it can be improved. Does that make sense? I, I love old hot rods. Man, and I'm a bow tie guy. That's Chevy for those of you that don't know what bow tie means. And if I take an old Camaro, if you want to give me one, I'm more than willing to receive it in grace and love. And I pop the hood on it, 
and I put a, a turbo on it or a blower, something to increase the performance of the engine, I close the hood, run it through a spray paint booth, make it a new color. When it comes out the other side of the paint booth, is it new or is it improved? Yeah, it's improved. It's the same old car. It might run a little better. God said, look, I made you better than that. I recreated you and gave you my DNA and that new DNA now has a new way of life. And that's what he's talking about right there. So live no longer as the Gentiles do. Next point is it's a choice. Verse 23, he says, let the spirit. You see, success in the Christian life has to be led and directed by the Holy Spirit. You have to let him do it. Galatians 5.16 in the Amplified says, but I say walk and live habitually in the Holy Spirit, responsive to and controlled and guided by the Spirit, then you will certainly not gratify the cravings and desires of the flesh of human nature without God. But it's on you. You have to let him do it. He's not going to force it. You've got to let him lead you. Now the rest of this that little tidbit in 23 is powerful stuff. Renew your thoughts and attitudes. Our next bullet point is a renewed mind has spirit-based comprehension. Now let me tell you what that means. When I first read this, I'm not gonna lie, I've been reading verse 23 wrong for a lot of years, okay? Because immediately when I would read that scripture, my mind would go to Romans 12, and in Romans 12, 2, it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So I connected those two words and said, renew, renew. Okay, that's what it's talking about. But this is another one of those words that's only used one time in the New Testament. And it's used right here. So I went, well, man, Lord, what's that mean? It must have a deeper meaning. And so as I began to dig into that, let me tell you what this means, where it says renew your thoughts and attitudes through the Spirit, capital S, that's the Holy Spirit. That word is ananeo, and it means sanctified reasoning, which leads to new levels of spiritual comprehension and reality. That is powerful. When you allow yourself to be led by the Spirit and you allow him to work on your mind, he takes you and gives you new levels of spiritual comprehension and reality. It changes everything around you. So really what it's talking about here is another passage of scripture in 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 12 and verse 16. Paul is talking and he says, hey, these are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit, capital S, of God. So what we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. And then he quotes a scripture out of Isaiah where he says, who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? He's saying, look, this is something that used to always be said. How can you even know what God is thinking? How can you instruct him? You don't have any idea what he's trying to say. But then look what Paul ends that with. But that's not how it is anymore. Now you have the mind of Christ. And so you can now walk in that deeper understanding and comprehension. Man, that's good stuff. 
I don't know about you, but I am all about growing deeper in my comprehension of the Spirit. We're going to shift to our last block of Scripture here, and this is in regards to treatment of others, okay? I'm going to burn through this real quick. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. Keep that word neighbor in the back of your mind. Let it roll around back there. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work. Get a job. Doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, keep that word rolling around, rage and anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. So number four is, welcome to the neighborhood. He starts telling us how to treat our neighbor right there. But that word neighbor that he uses was also used by Jesus in Luke 10, 25 through 37. It's called the parable of the Good Samaritan. And I'll give you the Robert Frey's version of it again as well. So he's talking, Jesus is teaching, and it says that somebody that was a master of the law, of the Jewish law, he was a Jewish lawyer, he sees Jesus and he goes, hey, what do I gotta do to be saved? And Jesus said, hey, what are, what are the greatest commands? And he rattles them off. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus goes, man, do that. You got it made. And the lawyer goes, man, this is good stuff. All right. So who's my neighbor? The lawyer wanted to know, who do I have to be good to? Who do I have to treat like this? And Jesus says, well, I tell you what, let me just tell you this little story. And so he talks about a man who was traveling between uh, Jericho and Jerusalem. The insinuation is that he's a Jew, by the way, because the route that he was traveling would have carried him to the temple. So he's a Jew, and it says that some robbers jumped him, left him laying in the ditch, and that while he was laying there, that a priest comes by, sees him in the ditch and goes, oh man, I'm gonna go over, that's a lot of work over there, that's a ministry basket case, I'm not having none of that. And then it says a Levite walked by who was another servant in the church, a Levite was just somebody else that helped prepare the temple and get people into God's presence. Surely he's gonna stop and help this poor gentleman? No, he kept on trucking too. But then, it's, then there's a play on words and it says, but then a Samaritan stopped, a good Samaritan. Well, here's the thing. To Jews, if you were a Samaritan, you couldn't be good. You were worthless because the Samaritans were what they considered a mottled race. What happened is the Jews were in Samaria. The Jews kind of got crazy. They did some stuff they shouldn't have done. The blessing of the Lord was no longer on them. They got defeated by the king of Assyria. And when they did, the king of Assyria said, well, I'll fix this. And he sent some other folks to live there with him. And the Jews, the defeated Jews that were there, intermarried with them, had kids. Those were the Samaritans. They weren't, they weren't all Jew, if you will. And so the Jews didn't accept them, but the animosity went on because of how they treated the Samaritans, the Samaritans didn't accept the Jews either. They just, they were like, whatever, we're done. We got nothing for you. So then Jesus looks at the attorney and says, which one was that man's neighbor? And he goes, man, the Samaritan was. 
So you see our neighborhood, it's everyone around us. It's not just right here. It's everyone in our sphere of influence, our sphere of life. It's the guy at the gas station that you see every Monday when you grab your cup of coffee. It's literally your neighbors on your street. It's the guy you bump into at the car wash. That's who your neighbor is. And so that's what we're gonna talk about now. You see, we belong to each other. It's the next point, we belong to each other. Romans 12, five says, so in Christ, we though many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. You see what that says there? I belong to you, you belong to me, we're a happy family. Okay, sorry, I couldn't help it, I had to go there. (laughs) Our next point is don't boil over. Verse 26 says, in your anger, do not sin. Look, anger is an emotion that happens in our flesh. It's gonna happen. Somebody's gonna make you mad. If they don't, come see me. You need to pray for me because I need what you got. We all have emotions and there's gonna be times when we're angered by somebody. Somebody's gonna cut you off in traffic. I might cut you off in traffic. I'm sorry, I apologize now if I do. But in that, you can't sin. Okay, don't let your anger roll into a full boil, become rage, and then pour out on somebody. We can't allow it to do that. You know, I've heard this taught before that that what it's saying is, oh, well, that's talking about a righteous anger. That doesn't even make sense. Think about that. If it's a righteous anger, would it lead you to sin? There's no way. If it's a righteous anger, it would lead you to do something righteous. Like when Jesus went in and cleared the, the, the tax collectors and all the tables out of the way in the temple so that the Gentiles could be in there and enjoy the presence of God. That was a righteous anger. He didn't sin in it. He wasn't even tempted to sin. So that can't be what that is. It's saying the full-on anger when somebody chaps your backside, don't let them have it. And then our next point is don't put your anger in the crock pot of your mind. In verse 26, he says, and don't let the sun go down while you're angry. Don't take that thing, put it up there in the crock pot in the back of your head and stew on it and meditate on it and let it just eat you alive because if you do, it says that you then give the devil a foothold. Here's another way of saying that. If you allow that to happen in your mind, you're actually opening up your mind and giving the devil a piece of real estate in your mind to set up camp. And you can't have that. You don't want that. You're trying to live in that deeper spiritual comprehension. Remember? So when you get angry, man, just let it go. It's going to be all right. And then our last point. Oh, I'm sorry. It's not true. Use your words to add life to those around you. In verse 29, it says, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. That's talking about building others up, okay? Proverbs 18, 21 says that inside your mouth resides the ability, the weapon, or the tool to either build up somebody or to cut them down to size and bring death. Use it to bring life. Let wholesome words come out for the benefit of others. And by the way, if you participate in that unwholesome thing and you unleash wrath on someone, improper treatment of others grieves or causes the Holy Spirit pain. 
Remember in Ephesians 4.4, 4, it says that we got the same spirit in all of us. The same Holy Spirit unites all of us. So if I attack you or you attack me verbally, we cause him grief and pain. And he's the very seal of God on us is what it says. He's the one that proves that we're God so that in the day of redemption, we get to inherit the kingdom. Why would we want to grieve him? It wouldn't be a good idea. Our last point, number five, bitterness is a deadly contagion. He said get rid of bitterness. Get that out of there. A contagion is something that is passed along by contact, okay? Hebrews 12, 15 says, look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. And watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you corrupting many. That word corrupt means defile. So what happens is if we allow a root of bitterness into our heart, then everybody we come in contact, look, I got bitterness in me. I've allowed it to grow. Now I come over here and I touch him with my words. I get in conversation with him. I touch David. I touch John. I've now defiled them. I've now stained them and given them this contagion of bitterness. And if you're not careful, it'll spread like an epidemic through a body. Everybody will be stained by it. Guys, we don't want that. We don't want that because God's using us. We've been here 34 years. God wants us to go until he returns. So we got to keep that out of our hearts. And then I only gave you one step to stay out of that bitterness place. I'm going to go old school. Some of y'all remember VCRs. Be kind and rewind. Rewind your mind and remember when God forgave you. Colossians 3.13 says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Paul says, hey, look, remember when you were forgiven. You know, something that I do with that in my own life, I asked a long time ago, I asked the Lord to never, ever let me forget that 19-year-old guy I was the day that I got saved. And that's not so that I can look in the mirror and beat myself up. I'm a new creation in Christ. I'm not that guy anymore, and I know that, and I'm solid in that. But when I remember, oh, (laughs) the precious moment where he called my name, and I said yes, and the weight of all the sin that I didn't even realize I was carrying was removed from my shoulders... Man, and the joy that filled my heart, when I remember that, it's real hard for me to stay angry and not forgive somebody else. So that's your one point. We hope that you enjoyed this message. You can find more messages and information about Tree of Life Church at treeoflifechurch.org. We'd like to invite you to come visit us at 5513 IH35 South in New Braunfels, Texas, or you can watch us on live stream. Thank you again for listening.